Hello and welcome to the fourth episode of The Old Lady Speaks here on Black and White and Red Oliver. This is your host again, Danny, coming to you on Gaetano Shirea's birthday. So uh, happy birthday to one of the best players to ever wear the Juventus shirt. I am joined by the usual crew of Sam Lepresti. Hello, Sam. Greetings, Danny. Matthias Delix, large adult father, Chucks. Hello, Chucks. Good evening. And uh, for the record, it's Matthias Delix. Matthias. Sorry, we'll fix that in editing. Uh, and Paulo Dybala's large adult father, although I'm sure there might be some competition for Delict there too. Uh, Sergio Romero, hello, Sergio. Hey, guys, all good. We obviously have seen quite a bit of news come out in Italy in recent weeks, but this week was relatively slow. So we figured that on this week's episode, we'd stick with some transfer stuff. Before I get to that, I'll... I'll Joy. I'll, uh, I'll get to uh, the, the fun with numbers that we've been having. So we spoke about a former number four last week. We won't name him by his actual name. If, if you guys can remember the, the first player coming out of the promotion back to Serie A to wear number four, can you remember it? And you got the toughest question. So <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm here to, to, to try and make you guys flex your brain power and impress the listeners. It wasn't Legro Talia because he was in like the 20s. He was 33, I believe. It's a bit of a wild card, is it? Cristiano Zanetti? No, he was six, wasn't he? He was, he was six. He was okay. one of the greatest Alessio Seco buys ever. Uh, no, no, no. That's, I was, no, no, no. That, I was going to say Fabio Gosso, but no. no. <laughs> he was six, <laughs> he was six too. <laughs> oh, really? Oh, well, I'm getting the sixes, right? I know, and in a couple of weeks, you're going to be money, dude. <laughs> <laughs> Do you remember one Sergio Almiron, not Sergio Romero? Ah, right, yeah. Fair enough. Okay. okay. Also, uh, number four, Martin Cáceres, a guy that is now just posting a whole lot of shirtless pictures on Instagram. Patrick Vieira from the, the pre-relegation days, and obviously everybody's favorite Uruguayan Besides Casares and Rodrigo Bentancur, uh, Paulo Montero, number four. So yes, yes. there's our jersey history for the week. As I mentioned, transfer rumors and business is picking up a little bit in that aspect, knowing that we still don't really know when the games are coming. So figured we'd start at the one that is most prevalent these days that involves uh, Miralem Pjanic and Artur Melo, or simply Artur since he's Brazilian. Just want to get your guys' opinion. I'll start with Sam. What do you make of this? And I mean, it, it kind of seems like as much as we like Pjanic as a player, that his, his days at Juventus kind of seem numbered, don't they? They kind of do, and I'm not 100% against it at this point. It, it just kind of seems like time. It, he certainly hasn't fused well with the, the tactics of Maurizio Sarri, especially not at that position if they were to make Rodrigo Bentancur the regista and push Pjanic up towards Trequartista I'd be interested to see how that would work but that would take a heck of a lot and probably a summer and we're not I I think it's probably the end for for Pjanic at this point they're going to cash in on his value now when it's when it's at its peak the the thing that that has me on this particular rumor with with Artur and I not necessarily my 
my independent words. This is something that I've I've heard from a friend in 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 conversation. I'm I'm not gonna steal this directly from him without attributing it to him. Uh, my my friend JP here in New York, who has said multiple times on a group chat that I'm on with him, do we really want Arthur if he's that dead set on not coming? I mean, he seems so set on being at Barcelona. Maybe it's just a question of you know not wanting to leave somewhere where he'd always imagined playing or something to that effect. But how much do we want him in exchange if he really doesn't want to be here in Turin? I, I wonder about the wisdom of having a guy that's coming in in the transfer market, dragging his heels and not really having wanted to leave. I, that That's the biggest thing for me is the the guys that are our sister Barca blog, they had me on their podcast earlier this week and they mentioned just how it seems like Pjanic is very much willing to go to Barcelona, but the other end of the equation isn't so willing to come to Turin. And obviously, Tuto Sport had a report over the weekend where they said, well, may- maybe that might be shifting a little bit and he could be open to a move to, to Juventus now. But I mean, it-, it-, it definitely seems like this move kind of hinges on how willing Arthur is to come to Juventus rather than Pjanic going to Barca, which if you if you feel like that's a spot where you can thrive, even though that's a, a team where a lot of players are are there in the same kind of position, then hey, if you if you feel like you can try and beat them out, then more power to you, I guess. Yeah, and just on Sam's note about pushing Janic potentially to the trequartista position, um, I specifically remember this experiment, actually, because I remember writing the match review about this. Um, it was probably, I don't know, a year and some change ago. And it was indeed the case that Janic was moved up to trequartista position. I forget that line of the, of the midfield. I would have to look back in my archives. I can but, tell you that exactly, if you would, if you would indulge me. It was Pjanic at Trequartista, the midfield three were Marquisio, Kedira, and Stefano Sturaro. Really? Highly oh, technical okay. midfield, that one. Oh, my. Huh. Well, okay, that may, <laughs> may have played some part in that. Huh. For some reason, I remember a better midfield than that, than that game, but <laughs> with all respect, of course. Um, but nevertheless, point being, I just remember it really didn't work. Just, it wasn't a very good experiment. Uh, the main thing that I remember from that experiment was that Ganich was very, so in Dutch we have a good term for this, but I guess best translated it's, he was very backwards leaning. So for any Dutch listeners out there, it's Bintner Achterspelers, for any Dutch listeners. But uh, he was just basically, he was always looking to move backwards, to, to drop backwards too much, which fair enough, like, Tequatista is doing, uh, doing that sometimes, it's fine, but he was almost like starting in Tequatista and then ending up all the way back in a G-staff position. You know, and that's like, I was like, all right, that's not exactly the idea. So um, I personally would not be too enthusiastic about that experiment. And frankly, I mean, I don't really think he has the characteristics for that. Um, not quite fast enough. I think he prefers more killer passes from a bit deeper deeper in the field rather than higher up. Yeah, I, I mean, I would hope that wouldn't happen. The only possible experiment, really, that I could think of is putting, as I'm sure we'll talk about later, Bentancur in Regista and then Pjanic as a, I suppose, as a Metzala, maybe 
It's the only one I could possibly reconcile and see as somewhat feasible against the uh, Taiguatista position. Hopefully that's, that doesn't happen. I- I don't know. I think that I'm slightly going to disagree with you on that in, in terms of ability, because it's what he did at Roma. And, it, and it's really what I think he was bought for. Because you remember his first season, he came and he played the regista position while Claudio Marchisio was coming back from, the, from his knee injury. But as soon as, he, as soon as Marchisio got back, obviously we didn't realize just how diminished that knee injury would make him. But that, 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 damn, that damn injury. Jeez, uh, man. <laughs> <laughs> but but Allegri started doing that immediately. And I, I really think he was bought for that because Allegri, you remember, was trying to get the club to buy him a trequartista for years before Pjanic got there. And then eventually they scrapped it. They went with, with, a, with a different system that, hasn't, that didn't use one. But I, I think he can do it. I, I think he's technical enough. I think without the defensive responsibilities, I think that he can really thrive. I've always thought that that was something that, that messed with him, was having to, to defend as much at the back. I think he can do it. Obviously, we're probably we'll never see whether or not which one of us is right <laughs> uh, here at Juve. I, I, I think it can be done. So happy you brought that up because I do... I do remember thinking in the peak of the Allegri out there as an unabashed Allegri defender, I remember thinking that was the only argument I had no counter to. It's like, why did you bring in a guy that was, for all purposes, for all intents and matters, the attacking midfielder that you wanted for the entire tenure and then just immediately slotted him as the defensive midfielder? Like, that never made sense to me. Like you mentioned, it was due, a lot had to do with the Claudio Marchisio injury. I get that. But at the same time, like once you kind of got past that, why not bring him back to his uh, original position? But anyway, taking, taking that out of the equation, it is a little bit wild to me that the prevalent feeling among Juba fans is not only that Pjanic is gone, but that we're all kind of okay with Pjanic being gone. And that is wild to me because as the season was starting, that was the one guy that you could count on in a midfield that was decidedly an, as far as possible from a sure thing. But you could tell, like, Pjanic was the one top-level, top-elite midfielder you had, and then you had to figure everything else out. Just, you know, what, seven, eight months removed from that point, and even less removed from him being arguably one of the better players in the early Mauricio Sarri era were completely fine with letting him go. I don't know if that speaks to how badly he played in the last couple months before the the pandemic kind of shot everything down, or how bullish in general the the Juventus faithful are about the the prospects of Rodrigo Bentancur. But it is yeah, it is kind of funny that we're all just like yeah, sure. I mean, he's gone. Uh, what are you gonna do about it? Like everyone's pretty okay with it and. I wonder if, if that's going to kind of come back and, and haunt us a bit once we have another year without a good midfield. I think part of that is re- recency bias as well. I think the most recent form of Pjanic uh, was frankly poor. And, you know, that stands out most in our memory, you know, because it was so recent. Yeah, I mean, when you get, when you get benched for, the big, for one of the bigger games of the year, up to that point, the last game before the shutdown against Inter, that was, uh, he didn't play. He didn't even come off the bench in that game. And that, I think, speaks to how 
much trouble he's probably had absorbing what Saadi wants. And conversely, how quickly Bentancourt has come up with it. it. It also says a lot that we're saying this, I think when Sergio mentions that, it says a lot that Juventus fans, I think, are coming around to the idea that Saudi is going to be the coach next year. So we'd better get guys that can fit him. That's the thing. I'm not like, it's so weird because when the season started, he did seem to grasp what Saudi was trying to do. Like the first few games, he was like really good. I mean, he was, he was, one he of was the on best fire players. to start the season. Incredible. He was so good. And then suddenly something happened and now we're like Chuck said, like he was so bad in the last couple of months. He didn't play against Inter. And honestly, he, the team looked better without him. That's like, what happened? Like, was he injured? Was he tired? At this point, I have no idea what happened to him because he was so good at the beginning of the season. And now he might be gone after this season. It, it sucks because I think while he performed, I think overall pretty well, as a Juve player, I still think if this is it for, for the Miralem Pjanic era in, in Juventus, uh, I think he, he could have done more. I think I'm always going to be a bit let down with his overall input, despite the really bright moments he, he provided as a Juve player. Whenever the Italian press brings up this transfer rumor, there's always the caveat of Maurizio Sarri has loved, basically loved what he's seen from Bentancourt in that small sample size as a regista, which basically says, this is the rumor and kind of this is why they're doing it. Obviously, Pjanic is one of those players where he's going to gain interest from bigger clubs because he's still very good, even though he hasn't been good so far in 2020. But there's, there's always been that extra thing of Bentancourt is really, this is his chance to take that position by hold. And I remember when he first signed, kind of like how they do with a lot of the younger players, it's like, okay, what is your favorite position you play? And in the interview, he said, I am a regista. That is where I play. And I think now, as much as he's kind of been that Swiss army knife this season, especially especially early on when he was he was playing behind the strikers and then on P- on Pianish's right shoulder, and then he was just basically being moved around everywhere. Now we're kind of starting to see him settle in to a midfield role where he's played the most growing up. He's still so young where it's you, you can't help but get carried away of the potential that he has in that position. And I think that's kind of really, like Chuck said, is recency bias, but it's also kind of fueling the fire of why so many people are like, okay, this this might be time to move on and kind of usher in a, a different kind of benting core centered era of the UV midfield, which brings us to the next rumor, which these days involves a lot of midfielders a certain paul is it paul pogba paul pogba huh (laughs) yeah i've heard that that name from somewhere haven't i yeah i I think so we hear rumors that juventus might be in the lead that real madrid and psg or whoever else might be in the pogba derby are now thinking that he might be too expensive we hear different names being thrown around we hear a potential 80 million dollar $80 million, $80 million euro transfer fee being thrown out. I will throw this out to you guys. Is Pogba A, possible? And B, do you really want Paul Pogba back at Juventus? I know those are two different kinds of questions. For me, I, I think it's a lot more possible now. It was going to be a heck of an onerous thing before the shutdown, but with the economic impact of 
the pandemic and the shutdown and what this is going to do to transfer fees, it's going to drop them down and make that and make that much more affordable, especially if you throw in a player, which most every single one of these rumors does either Ramsey, Rabiot or Douglas Costa are the three guys that I've, that I've heard most. It definitely can be done now and even perhaps done with a fee that wouldn't make getting another good midfielder prohibitive. As to whether or not I'd want him, if he's the kind of player that... That was a, he- that was a healthy pause there, Mr. Lepresti. <laughs> I, I have been, I, I've been worried about this for, for years. It goes back really to his last year with us before he went back to Manchester. I'm worried that he... I've always been concerned that he's more concerned with being a famous footballer than being a great one. And I think that's really taken hold in Manchester. You know, he's had his moments in Manchester, but he has not been consistent at all. You know, and it's, you know, there have been ads and, and Instagram stuff and social media and whatever. If we get the kind of Pogba that we had in his first couple years with the team, I would, be, I would love it because that Pogba is a freaking force of nature on a football pitch and he would make the team immeasurably better. If we were to get him back, are we getting that Pogba or are we getting the Pogba that is playing for his Instagram videos and not for the team? That is my concern with Pogba. And that is why I'm really paused when it comes to bringing him back. What do you think, Chucks? You're always playing for your Instagram videos. Man, I don't even have Instagram. (laughs) (laughs) For real, all, all you kids these days on your social media. Um, but, but now, in all seriousness, get um, off Chuck's line. <laughs> we wrote letters. <laughs> no, I, I mean, so your point about the transfer values decreasing, or yeah, just the deflationary pressure on transfer values due to the COVID nineteen. You know, that's definitely true. But then I also wonder, not just the pressure on prices, but then also the pressure, the deflationary pressure on clubs revenues so you know i mean i remember it was the first or second episode i think i mentioned or i referenced uh, an article that said that i believe it was uh, just off the top of my head that a city uh, broadcasters had i think postponed their payments for the commercial deals for the commercial broadcasting deals or the sponsorship deals i think just two two Italian clubs due to obviously I mean, they pay for a product. This product is not happening, and therefore, you know, you I mean, it's within their right to not have to pay that money. So you know, that's perfectly fair. So anyway, like I haven't actually heard much in the you know Fefu. I hope you're listening, but um, I haven't really seen too much yet about the potential impact on Juventus revenues from COVID-19 because again I mean the question for me I look at it mostly from a financial standpoint of like I mean Pogba's transfer value might be less but I mean his wages are still Premier League level wages you know and I mean I remember just thinking again off the top of my head when he left Juventus for United a few years ago wasn't it that his his salary was like quadrupled or something or tripled or quadrupled or something like that and you know as um just using my uh, economics background here, uh, something we always like to say is that wages are sticky going downwards. So it's easy to get them up, but it's hard to get them back down. As, as both of you, you kind of mentioned, money plays a huge factor in this. Even you know, taking into account 
how many players you can throw in and, and if you can get him on the as cheap as possible. He's still one of the best premier midfielders in the world. So he's, he's not going to be cheap. There's just no way. Um, even with that, I am working under the, the framework that Juventus has been working the last couple of years in which money is a number. Money is a construct that society has invented. So just pay it. I mean, they have been, I don't know how they're going to manage to do it. It is not my job to figure out how they're going to do it. But if money, ha I mean, I don't know how they would do it, but I don't know how they brought in Cristiano Ronaldo. And I don't know how they brought in Matthijs de Ligt. I have no idea. So if the objective is to bring in the best midfielder possible you can bring in and you have the chance to bring in Paul Pogba, you do it. That, that's just how you have to approach it. If that's going to take, you know, if that's going to cost you the opportunity to kind of build a better squad, if that's going to mean that you have to sell a bunch of players, then you kind of think about it. But at this point in the summer, with really not a lot of information, I mean, we don't really know how it's going to work. So just talking about purely football, you have to bring him in. If you can bring him in, you bring him in. And you also can do the worst hashtag ever invented, which is puck back and forth which I hope they don't use, <laughs> but the Juventus... But we will social, start using it. <laughs> the Juventus social media team is notoriously oh, corny, so they, they could very well use it. And, I mean, that would be just really funny. I would really enjoy it if they used it. So, yeah, I'm all, I'm all in, 100% in. I don't really have much of a concern about whether or not he's going to, you know, come in and work hard. I, I think he's a hard worker. I... I disagree with with Sam's notion that he's been a little too you know too too flashy or whatever I mean he has but I don't think that's taken away from from what he brings to the pitch Manchester United is a, is a you know fire dumpster fire dumpster fire thank you so much I was You're welcome. Up. and you know I mean I don't think how you could thrive in that environment honestly we've seen many players go in there and just fail and I wouldn't even think he really failed fail I just don't think he performed up to expectations but I, I still think if you can bring him in yeah bring him in definitely let me ask you this though Sergio hypothetically you have to assume that Juventus needs more than one midfielder right now the way that that unit is the only player that anyone is even thinking as a mortal lock to be playing with the team next year is Rodrigo Bentancourt if it were a stark choice between Pogba and no one else in the midfield and a couple of players who might not be Pogba but who would cumulatively help as well or better to fix the midfield what would you pick that's an interesting question because I think that Juventus has tried and honestly in my opinion failed to kind of do that approach of okay let's bring in a couple of guys and let's try to build you know, instead of bringing a really good high-priced player, let's bring in two or three that might be a level below that, but, you know, in conjunction can do really good. And that goes back to the summer of, of Mario Lemina and Hernanes, you know, which they were like, oh, yeah, let's bring in these two guys and maybe, you know, if we get these two mediocre players, well, they'll be a good player together. And it didn't work. And then they brought in a guy like Emre, Emre Can, which didn't work. 
they brought in Adrian Rabiot and Aaron Ramsey. And, you know, the, the results there have been mixed, but I wouldn't say that. Not, I, I think none of those guys have been like a tremendous success. I think it really depends on what you feel is the timeline for this team. I mean, I think if you look at the squad as a whole, you know, this is not a young squad. This is a squad that is built to win now. So if you say, listen, we think we can bring in a guy that is a proven commodity that is going to come in and just immediately change the outlook for the midfield. I think you have to do it, especially because I don't know who you bring out there that, you know, two cheap players who could have the same impact as one Paul Pogba. So I, I would pick Paul Pogba in that hypothetical scenario you, you bring up. Jux, you're wondering about Pogba's salary. He is currently Manchester United's second highest player behind David De Gea. I'm thinking, correct me if I'm wrong, England does it more in terms of gross than net, but he's on 15 and a half million pounds for an annual salary. Yeah, spare change, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> you mentioned guys who are potential plug-and-play candidates, and as we do another professional transition here, we've seen a lot of other names be mentioned as possible swap partners for Mir Lampianic. And one of those has been another Premier League player who just so happens to be a former pupil of Mauricio Sarri, and that is Jorginho. If Juve are thinking that the regista role is somebody other than Bentancur, can they find anybody who is more adapt and more plug and play than possibly Jorginho? Ooh, <laughs> the million dollar question. <laughs> I'll admit I haven't, so I don't watch Premier League very often, so I haven't really seen Jorginho play too much. Do remember though from his Napoli days that I, I mean, I, I very much would have would like to have him have him join the team then. Since joining Chelsea, I'm not really sure. Like I said, I haven't really watched him. I mean, the only question in general I have to kind of strategically dodge your question uh, is that... How dare, how dare you, know, you dodge my question? <laughs> <laughs> um, is, sorry, forgive me, oh master. <laughs> um, is, is really just like, you know, when we're buying players, the question to me is always like, okay, are you, are you buying an individual to fit the existed existent and current system or are you getting the best players and then figuring out a good good system that will fit with that you know so it's a to me the question always with managers in general really or clubs i guess if, if you would if you want to say that is you know are we taking a systems first approach or a players first approach and so i try to kind of see the pattern of transfer rumors there like okay what are the types of players being brought in here and i'm just not really just talking about midfield anyway you know you have uh, Jorginho on one hand and then uh, i suppose we'll talk about him later jumping the gun here but uh arturo Milo um and uh paul pogba then and you know you try and kind of see the patterns there and i'm just not really sure if i see i mean you know i don't see much of a uh, similarity i suppose between yeah, Paul Pogba on one hand, and then Arturo Melo, and then Jorginho. So it's I'm just trying to figure out the method to the madness of of the transfer rumors. And well, then again, they are rumors, of course. I think Jorginho is the the sensible, smart, completely unexciting decision if you want to go all in on Saribol, If that's what you know Juventus is really going to go all in. 
you're going to bring a guy who knows how to play the system, who's played the system before, who's joined Mauricio Sarri in his lays, and, you know, you join him in Napoli, you join him in Chelsea. You could, you know, if, if this went to go through, he would join him in, here at Juventus. So you get a guy who's the complete definition of a plug-and-play guy. I, you know, I, I guess it's not a bad signing. I wouldn't be upset with that signing. I would be a little upset if that was the, you know, kind of like, highlight this is the guy we brought in like it's solved now like this is the guy who's going to change everything i don't think i mean i don't think he can i don't think he's that kind of player he's just a player who's proven to be adept playing in the system who i'm sure if we bring him in will perform to the up to the expectations if the price tag is not too much if you don't have to part with one of your you know big trade chips i would i would say yeah i think i would i would be okay with him coming in if you have to part with a guy like like Amir Limpianich for example to get a Jorginho I don't I'm not sure if you're really making the team better with that move so to cop out completely I think it would depend entirely on what we're talking about of you know either shelling out in, in transfer money or just you know on a straight trade but yeah I mean I guess that that would be my answer lukewarm I don't really mind him but I'm not really excited about him either. And sometimes it's the unexciting things that really make a that 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 make the the I'm sorry, my brain is not braining today. Uh, sometimes it's the unexciting things that put you over the hump. Um, I mean, is Jorginho the an, a transcendent individual talent? No. I guess the question with him becomes can the system take the players higher than what they are more than the sum of can, can the system take make them into more than the sum of their parts and if you've got a guy like Jorginho who knows how to run this system that could very well be kind of an unglamorous move that ends up having glamorous dividends that said the price would have to be right obviously and Frank Lampard really likes him at Chelsea. He's using him differently than Saudi ever did, but he's having a heck of a lot of a good season up in England right now under Frank Lampard. You know, a lot of Chelsea fans disliked him. I think that's because they, they care a little bit more about the oohs and ahs uh, when it comes to players and opposed to, as opposed to guys like Jorginho who do what they're supposed to do in the system, but that's not necessarily flashy. Yeah, I would take him, certainly, but the price would have to be right. Yeah, and the thing here also is that, you know, he does play in that regista position. So then you again have the question of like, okay, supposedly long-term plan is, I mean, based on the small sample size, that uh, Bentancur plays in regista position. So then we have a rumor that kind of aligns with that, which is from Paul Paul Pogba and Artur Melo, I guess, as well. But then you have one that kind of goes against that which is with uh, Jorginho because then he would play in Regista position and Bentancur would play in his original position again and then I mean I don't know it's it's confusing isn't it it certainly is (laughs) (laughs) but you know it also does say something that Jorginho or that uh, N'Golo Conte was moved out of his original position in defensive midfield in order to accommodate uh, Jorginho because now you know you have Conte playing, I believe it is, on the right side of a midfield trio, which is not his original position. You know, he played usually just dead center there 
in that defensive midfield position or back in the days along with Danny Drinkwater. But um, now... Uh, you know, Can you now, speak in that English accent more often on this podcast? Of course. No, of course. <laughs> of course. Uh, got me Birmingham accent too, you know. <laughs> <laughs> no, I shouldn't do. I shouldn't. Do you're, you're, dude. You're, you're. You've got the trained actor, and you're starting to go into accents. You don't want to open this Pandora's box. You really don't. No, I tried very carefully. <laughs> Plus, I don't want any unwelcomed, un or hateful fan mail. You know, and say, "Oh, I'm from Birmingham. Don't like your accent there." H- hateful email. That's all we get about you, Chuck. <laughs> One thing, and I, th- I think we've been focusing a lot on the midfield because that's what everybody's been thinking about, but between the drama that we've been seeing with Gonzalo Higuain and the, the signals that are going around the rumor sphere, which really do say that this is his last year at Juventus, he's going to have to be replaced. And I'm interested in what you guys think of the rumors about who that might be. Like, I've seen Timo Werner, I've seen Gabriel Jesus... That other guy who's currently playing in PSG that I don't want on the team at any cost. I would be interested to hear what you guys thought about in terms of, of, a, of a striker. Sergio, take it away. Yeah, this is me <laughs> and my Michael Jordan moment. Just like, everybody move. This is me. I just get out of my way because I'm going to go. Clear out. In a trade about the transfer that has me, the transfer room that has me the most excited, and that is, Raul Jimenez, the Mexican striker, rumored to be going to Juventus. He is currently the center forward for the Wolverhampton of the Premier League. At first glance, I was like, okay, that's the one thing that Juventus is well stocked right now is attacking. But as Sam said, you know, with Gonzalo Wayne probably being his last season, outside of my complete and utter, you know, just like favoritism for for a Mexican going to Juventus, you could do a lot worse than a guy like Raul Jimenez, who would be another guy that, in my opinion, would be a plug-and-play guy. He's not a a young player necessarily. He's 29, so you're not getting a a young guy who's going to need a lot of time to adapt or who's going to develop something. You're getting the finished product, and you're getting a pretty good finished product all in all. 22 goals, 10 assists in 44 matches, all competitions this season. He has become one of the most indispensable guys for a Wolverhampton side that has been really kind of like one of the nice surprises in the Premier League. He can do a lot of the things that Gonzalo Wayne has done really well this season, which is, you know, hold up the ball. He's had a lot of work rate. He's going to run all the game. He can defend. He's just one of those guys that's just like a very workman-like striker. And he scores goals. He is that type of guy who's just going to go in and be like a classic number nine center forward and in my completely unbiased opinion obviously they should sign him for about 80 million euros it doesn't matter what whatever they ask you get 80 million <laughs> because you're gonna get the we entire are- mexican market with it and that is a very valuable commodity i will give props to wolverhampton because they have been completely they have just try to win the Mexican market by any means necessary. They debuted a kit, like a third kit that is essentially the Mexican national team kit. It's green with red stripes and it has the Wolverhampton logo. If you if you haven't seen it, I urge you to watch it because it's just, it's the most transparent pander 
I have ever seen. <laughs> I, I just pu- I just punch this thing up right now, and Sergio is not lying to anybody. It is <laughs> if you remember what Mexico's kits looked like at the last World Cup. It's these that. are pretty much right on the money. It's exactly that. It is green with red stripes and the Wolverhampton logo. It is an extremely transparent pander move to the Mexican fan base. And I love it. I love it. I fell for it immediately. I hope we bring him in just because it would be really fun to have a a Mexican at Juventus. But because I I actually do believe he would be a great piece if you have to sell Gonzalo Wayne. I don't think he would be as expensive as Sam's best friend, a guy like Icardi or or a guy like Timo Werner, or the other guys who have kind of been mentioned as a substitute for Iwain, I think he could pan out. I really, really would enjoy seeing him at Juventus. Plus, I'm pretty sure he has the same agent as Cristiano Ronaldo, which, you know, can hurt. So, the entirety of Wolverhampton is, is Jorge Mendes. He, like, owns that club. <laughs> great man. Visionary man. Get Jimenez to Juventus. I, I need that. I need that. I want that. Give that to me. How about Chucks? What do you think about any of any and all of this? Well, the, the only concern about Jimenez is that he's 29 years old now. So, uh, well, as is the case with any all of us, rather, he's not getting any younger. Um, but it would be a kind of a under the radar deal there. And as Sergio said, I mean, his stats are very good. Just looking at his numbers there with his goals, goals to games ratio, really, if you look at that, that is very good indeed. But again, yes, age is a minor concern there. So I would would caution a bit on that one. But other than that, I think he, he sounds sounds like a pretty quality deal. And likely he would be cheaper than the Timo Werners and the, uh, as much as I would really, really like him, Gabriel Jesus in the world because they would not come cheap at all. Gabriel Jesus, you wonder if stuck in all of the pandemic is the fact that Manchester City still is banned from Europe for the next two years? And you won, and like that, before the pandemic, that was the thing. Is Manchester City going to break up if the Court of Arbitration for Sport doesn't overturn this? And so you, you wonder if that's going to, if that would factor into his price. I think Jesus would be great. I think any of them would be really good. The thing about Raul Jimenez, I mean, I, I don't mean to disrespect him as a player because he's obviously very good, but there wouldn't necessarily be a, a minutes crisis with him around as opposed to somebody like Werner or, or Gabriel Jesus, or especially Mauro Icardi, who just doesn't, I've never understood the Icardi rumors the last year and a half in particular, because he's not the kind of striker that, that Maurizio Sarri would want. He doesn't do the things that Sarri wants in a striker. You know, you, you could play him as the kind of guy that would distribute and, and have Dybala, and Ronaldo really take the the reign from the wings, or you know he could come on as a sub, and it wouldn't be as much of a, a media frenzy over the minutes over how the minutes are divided up. I mean, I wouldn't hold my breath on the cast thing of Manchester City. I, I mean, I think I think we'll all expect you know they're gonna obviously they're appealing, and you know personally I expected just the band to get reduced to like I don't know. Or to get either deferred or reduced like a year or something. But I don't know. Who knows? Who knows? Who knows what will happen? All right. We'll go into our Twitter questions here with first one being actually about transfers. From Justin Soforo, why is Paratici wasting time on Artur Melo instead of going after or risking losing to Inter 
a rising Italian star in Sanjo Tonali. Well, I hear that. I mean, the thing with Tonali is, I mean, I hear that he's just from from some of the rumors I've heard. It's just his preference seems to be Inter, which I mean, shame on him. But um, but you know, yeah, I mean, if his pre- if his preference truly is Inter, it's a bit difficult to to sway a man's heart or a woman's heart, for that matter, to you know to change his mind on that sense. But that's really all I've heard with respect to Tonali. I'm not sure if there's really an issue. So far with the, um, I imagine the wages won't be, I mean, he's coming from Brescia. He's not, <laughs> he's not exactly been living a high life. So, um, you know, who knows if, who knows if it's just his preference, but I imagine the transfer fee shouldn't be an issue. But I, and I also think, I mean, if some, I trust uh, Paratici enough that, you know, if there wasn't something really preventing that deal from happening or preventing him from, pushing it any further that you know he wouldn't do it i mean there's got to be something we don't know i've i've heard a lot about tonali's concerns over playing time and this i think is an issue if we've started developing the reputation as a team where the young player won't get into the lineup then players like tonali would think about going to an Inter or a Napoli or a Roma or in some distant future Milan when they're relevant again. I, I think that, I mean, if, if Tonali really, like you said, Chucks, if Tonali has his preferences, then unless there's a real chance of changing his mind, I don't see why Paratici should waste, would be waste. I think that the waste of time would be Paratici trying to convince him if he's rock solid, not uh, in not wanting to be at Juventus. But we have to, I think, take stock, take a, a little bit of uh, time to think about what the fact, that fact that Tonali maybe doesn't think he'd play would say about our ability to get guys like him in the future. Honestly, if, if, if Tonali sees the midfield as it's currently constructed at Juventus and thinks, ah, there's no playing time there for me. You know, maybe, maybe he isn't all that. You know, I mean, it's not like we're talking about the, you know, peak uh, NBPP midfield here at, at Juventus. I think, you know, if it's because of that, if the, and you are the Juventus Raz, you go at him and tell him, hey, listen, you'll play. Like, you'll, you'll get your chances. This is not going to be a thing about you're too young, we're not going to give you your chances. You'll get your chances, and if you're good enough, you're good enough. I, you know, obviously he, as Chuck's mentioned, he comes from a, a rather small club. You know, the jump from a small club to a, a club as big as Juventus, it, it cannot be easy. I guess it would be every young player would have, you know, would be a little bit scared of the whole, you know, big fish in a small pond type of thing, you know, going to a big pond. But honestly, I would be, I would be more concerned about that. Like, you don't think you're going to be able to cut it. Like, I mean, Juventus is not an easy place to play. So if it's about playing time, if it's about I'm not going to be able to play, is it because the expectations? Is it because we as a club, as Sam mentioned, you know, have a reputation for not letting young players play. I, I wouldn't know, but that seems like a weird thing to me if that's the reason he doesn't want to come to Juventus. If he doesn't want to come because he just likes Inter better, I mean, you know, people have bad taste. That happens. That's just life. <laughs> There's not a lot you can do about that. So 
yeah, I mean, that, that would be, yeah, if you can get him, get him. If you can't, I mean, there's been a lot of bright Italian prospects that were Cantonese and they missed. So I wouldn't put my entire transfer season strategy based on, on him. If you can get him, awesome. If you can, there's, there's plenty more. All right, next question from our loyal Twitter question asker, Handi Vandi. And as usual, it's a two-part question. First one is, why do you think Juve has never had a North American on the roster? Do you think this is due to a lack of quality players or Juve not having scouting interest? And second question, how many consecutive days will you be drunk when Juve finally wins the big ears next? I will get up to my microphone really close and say, all of them. <laughs> Let the record show. Let the record show. I'll have a solid. Yeah, I'll be. I'll be. I'll be probably be down for a solid three days, four days. Then I'll have to go back to work. <laughs> Generally frowned upon to be drunk in a service job. <laughs> well, lots of days. Uh, well, I don't know. I don't really drink, honestly. But uh, well, who knows? Who knows? I might make an exception. Um, uh, considering the North American question, I think probably the lack of a scouting network there. Um, I think people fail to realize just how labor and time intensive of a job scouting truly is. I mean, it's a very, very, very intensive job to do. I'm not speaking out of experience there, but just thinking about it. I mean, you know, you have to go to matches, you know, travel time to matches. Or, okay, if you don't, then you have to watch all the DVDs. You have to get the right angle so you can see the player that you're looking for. Ideally, you go to training sessions as well. And then just do all that traveling, do all that analysis. And I mean, you will need multiple people per region and it just becomes a labor expense then, frankly. So you have to prioritize, okay, which regions do we want to focus on and let's focus on that. So probably the lack of a scouting network, which I mean, I don't fault them for it. There's only so many people you can follow. And frankly, the world is a big place. So it's uh, hard to catch everyone. <laughs> I would tend to agree with, with that. I mean, there's, and also the fact that, you know, yes, North America does not have a history internationally in terms of competition. The only time a North American team has ever made it beyond the quarterfinals of the World Cup was the first World Cup when the United States of all teams finished third. It does surprise me a little bit that, you know, Mexico does have, has had a steady stream of good players coming in to the, the mid, you know, playing in mid-table clubs like uh, in, in La Liga, in, in England, like Raul Jimenez. It seems like it would only be a matter of time before one of those players bubbles up and, and caught their eye. You know, it must just be that no one's been a fit in that regard. And in, when it comes to younger players who might be coming up, I think, like, like Chuck said, just not a lot of scouting in North America. I do know that the Mexican League is notoriously difficult to negotiate transfers to take like young talented players to Europe so that that probably has a lot to do with it because as far as a, a system goes probably Mexico is the one that has a more developed system when it comes to academies and, and that type of stuff plus it's it's just more popular in, in Mexico than in the United States or Canada so there are just more football players here um, so I do know that once they actually reach the first league here, the Liga Imekis, I do know it's notoriously hard to get them over to Europe. There's been numerous players that, you know, it's always, you know, just recent cases like 
uh, Rodolfo Pizarro, which, who was a midfielder here in Mexico, played for Monterrey. There was a lot of rumors going on that he would go to Europe and just Monterrey would not let him go. They wanted a huge transfer fee. No mid-table club in Europe wanted to pay that fee for what was, you know, he's a good player, but he was still an unproven player at the European level. So that kind of delayed the whole thing. And now he plays for Miami FC. So, you know, that's not, that has happened to numerous players here in the Mexican league. So I do know that's a problem, but not, there's no moment like the present to remedy that. So I will continue to, to push it, get Raul Jimenez home. Let's get him home. Let's sign him up. Let's do it. Let's remedy that that awful, awful mistake that there's never been a North American player at Juventus. You make it sound like it's an episode of The Martian. <laughs> or Let's sorry, a it. scene from the movie The Martian. Bring our man home. <laughs> Equally important. Equally important. He doesn't really look like Matt Damon though, so that's a bit of an issue. <laughs> <laughs> you can expect a 2,000 word article on Raul Jimenez from Sergio in the coming days. Let's wrap it up on this one, an actual on-field kind of question from uh, R. Rusitano, who's, I believe, asked a question on our first episode. A healthy Chiellini Bonucci delict. Who sits in the Champions League? Go. Oh. And you, can, and you can't take a 3-5-2 and, you know. Cop out. Yeah, no, nah, probably. Uh, <laughs> well, you know, it's funny actually. For someone like Allegri, he he would probably bench the Licht because I mean he would probably go for the conservative option. For someone like Sari, I mean, honestly, he might even bench Chiellini, but I don't think probably probably would bench the Licht. If he's Chiellini, I don't think he's benchable just based if he's if he's right and if he is Chiellini, he's not benchable because a he has that experience that doesn't come around every day and b he's one of the last real on field leaders that the team has right now. And Bonucci's been playing well enough. I mean, like if if we're talking form immediately at the end of before the shutdown. It would probably have to be delict, in my opinion. Yeah, I agree. I think it has to be delict, as much as it pains me to say. I just you sound like such a defeated guy. father right now. It sucks. It's just terrible <laughs> to admit that. But I mean, if you have a healthy Kilini and Manucci, there's not, you know, just leave alone. Like let alone right now, but like in the football's history, I don't think there's many better two center back pairings that what we've had here with Bonucci and Chiellini. So I think you have to do it. I think you have to do it. Yeah. The lift sits. Trucks, are you okay with this seeing as well, I mean, your, I'm still, your fellow countryman? Sorry, I'm still processing uh, the heartbreak. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> let a man cry, would you let a man cry? <laughs> no, no I, I mean, I think it's just indeed the more conservative option is indeed to bench the Licht. Um, I mean, the key word really is just a healthy Chiellini because really uh, – I mean, in that sense, if you're going to bench the Licht, I mean, I think you're doing that on the basis of experience, which, yeah, I mean, some might agree, some might disagree on it. But I, I grudgingly understand. Chiellini is already a guy that's had to be time-managed a lot. Allegri did it a lot his last two years, especially last season. So a lot of it's going to come down to, do you want Kiel, Especially if, if the shutdown hadn't happened, and we're talking about a real a regular run-in. Do you want Chiellini's 
best games to be, you know, the limited amount of games that you have Chiellini for to be in Serie A in a close Serie A race? Or do you want Chiellini to be in a potential deep run of, of the Champions League? Juventus has always kind of had a history of prioritizing Serie A over the Champions League. Arrigo Saki is really annoying, but he said that the other day on Italian media, and, but it is true. So it would be interesting to see where Delict, because Delict would play. One way or the other, Delict would play because Chiellini would not be able to play three games in a week. So the question is, where would you want Chiellini's efforts focused? I think how Sarri was going to handle Chiellini was one of the things I was more interested in as things went on after he came back and then obviously the shutdown happened. So we never truly saw it, but yeah, how he, how Saudi really does handle those three. And I mean, who knows seeing as it seems like the potential start date keeps getting pushed later and later where Demerol kind of fits into this too. And like we joke, like, like we joke last week, uh, Rugani's still around. So there's always that too, but you know, we know that the games are going to be really compact and there's going to be a lot of players who are trying to get back into match fitness because who knows how much these small group trainings really get them prepared. So it's um, going to be really interesting, I think, to see how Chiellini is going to be handled as well. Even more interesting now yeah. because now he's had two months, two and a half months. It'll be, it'll be closer to three by the time things have gone to keep getting healthier on that name. Yeah. And I mean, and, he, he, he ramped it back up and then all of a sudden it's like shutdown happens. You obviously don't have the, the kind of access. And I mean, who knows what Giorgio Chiellini has at his house, but it's probably not what they have at the Juventus training center. So what kind of access to really also, stuff that he was working with, you know, just a few weeks before the shutdown happened. And he's also a man who's prone to muscular injuries in his legs to begin with. Oh, is he? Uh, I didn't know. <laughs> oh, the sarcasm. Not been paying attention. Which, frankly, was always a worry of mine when it came to his normal comeback from that knee injury was how his his muscles in his legs, which you know, a knee injury, a catastrophic knee injury like that, screws with your with everything else in your legs because you start compensating for certain things because it might not feel right. That was always something that I was really going to be keeping an eye on when when he came back before the shutdown. So it's going to be really interesting to see what might happen now that he's had two and a half months to, to sit and let it potentially, and let it get healthier and, and see what's going to happen. Indeed. And we'll wrap things up on that note. Once again, as we keep saying at the end of these, you can find us on iTunes, you can find us on Spotify and you can find us on Google podcasts. Feel free to like and subscribe subscribe and if you're feeling extra generous give us a positive rating and maybe even a review for sam and for chucks and for raul jimenez bus driver sergio romero this is (laughs) danny stay home stay safe and we'll uh, catch you guys next week